The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Your Money, Your Life podcast. I think we are actually on episode 75. This this episode, we're calling it Ask an Expert. Um, so we'll have an expert on to answer some of your personal finance questions, getting back to the core of what we do. But as always, make sure you five-star rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. Uh, we're growing this community, and we really love it, so we really appreciate it. Of course, we'll talk about what's in the news and market update. There's so much. Last half of the podcast, we'll do our Ask an Expert, which is a really fun segment. We have Janice joining us for that segment of the Icaro De Niro podcast. Um, again, thank you guys for all listening. Really, really appreciate the support. Hope you enjoy the show. Market update for this week. We are kicking off the second half of the year. Uh, first half of the year was great for investors. Um, we're roughly up, you know, on major in- indexes anywhere between twelve and fourteen percent uh, for the first half of the year. Uh, just buoyed by, you know, stimulus, um, vaccine rollout, buoyed by strong earnings as well. Um, Jobless claim numbers are dropping. Um, this was just a good first half of the year. Uh, we're hitting record highs across all major indexes. Uh, focus in the second half of the year is going to shift to those quarterly earnings coming up, uh, gauge how companies are doing, gauge how the economy is doing. Um, so you're seeing a lot of strength across the board. And usually when you have a strong first half, you have a strong second half. Um, so shouldn't be too much variance there based on historical trends and standards so that's good for investors and people that we've been working with have been doing really well and will continue if they're if again if people are saving if you have your money sitting in cash guess you lost money actually um so that's that's a big update on the market side now in the news bumble this is my favorite app slash stock to attack i have no clue why i think i just always hated the app when i was single but yeah bumble (laughs) is trying to open up a restaurant um, but it's not about dating, it's about relevance. So you can swipe right on this bikini pasta. Uh, but four months into its IPO, Bumble is doing a restaurant opening. And I believe it's going to be in NYC. It is in NYC. The bar restaurant concept uh, was focused on date friendly. Um, it's not just for first dates, but they want to have connections of all kinds, uh, friends, family, networking. And it aligns with Bumble's business strategy of not just being a dating app, but expanding to more career networking focus. Um, I don't like this. Anyone that knows the restaurant business is actually a horrible business. I don't see how this expands Bumble's brand at all. I don't know. Uh, someone connect me if they're wrong. If they've gone to this place in New York City, let me know. But I just don't understand this. I don't believe it's it's viable or a good look for the strategy of the business. But I could be totally off with that. But that's my assessment. Another assessment I was fairly right on, Robinhood was just handed the biggest fine from the Financial Industry Regulator Authority ever. It's going to pay $57 million to FINRA, uh, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and it's also going to pay $13 million to harm investors for a total of $70 million. What did Robinhood do? Robinhood is accused of misleading customers and for failing to provide support to them when asked. Well, that's very apparent. If anyone that's ever had a Robinhood account knows that they don't have 
a calling service. You can't even call and talk to anyone. I think they implemented it now, but I always brought that up. I was like, how do you not have a place if you're dealing with money where someone can actually call? They had none. They had some stuffed email text or call, email place where it took weeks for people to hear back. I've had many clients move over from Robinhood just because there's no personal touch, which is always going to be needed when dealing with funds. And that is crazy that people would flock to it. Um, but you know, Robinhood also didn't, they blocked the ability to trade during certain glitches. Um, a 20 year old rest in peace committed suicide after seeing a negative $720,000 balance on his account when the negative was actually half, that's still a steep amount, but, um, and they've had two major outages that resulted in tens of thousands of losses for users. So yeah, FINRA find them users are getting money back in that class action lawsuit. But again, um, again, for small things and people that are trying to, I know people are still trying to get rich doing this, which they never will, um, do that. But again, it's, it's just not a good look. You got to protect yourself, um, uh, as always, but they're still going to try to go public, which again, if you're looking at the users, the ground scroll, people will only trade into have a huge variance of coming onto platforms when they think they're going to get rich quick. Um, and so you're going to see a user still flock to them, obviously, for that purpose. Um, but let's move forward. The NCAA has dropped its restriction on, restrictions on athletes making money for the, on athletes making money for their name, image, and likeness. Um, this is a great move. It's long overdue. If we discussed um, something that need to happen, and now uh, it's being implemented where these college athletes that bring a lot of revenue to the NCAA and to different colleges, to different conferences, are now able to finally make some funds from that. It's going to change the landscape of college football, basketball, these different areas, especially for the top profile athletes. Um, it's going to change a lot of lives for these athletes who should be able to make money as soon as they have value. Like in high school, they have value. Freaking middle school, they have value. But they're not able to make money out of this value, and their families aren't able to until later, until they go to the NBA. That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so finally, that's that's dropping, man. That's a great move for them, and it's going to be awesome. Um, it will lead to a lot of different things that they need to be aware of. So definitely, you know, we have to protect these athletes and their families who aren't aware of a lot of the scoundrels out there, or maybe they are through the agents. There are a lot of scoundrel agents out there. Um, moving on, Chinese ride hailing company Didi are reportedly priced. Well, it actually did IPO and they're valued around 60 billion. I haven't been following the stock, but it's a ride hailing company. It's like a rival to Uber in China. Um, and that's interesting to see that they're valuing and, and going public as well. Um, and in other news, judge dismisses the FTC case against Facebook. Uh, so the federal trade commission had a case against Facebook. Uh, they sued Facebook back in December, arguing it unfairly maintained its monopoly status in social media, DMs, likes, comments, by cr crushing the competition and buying rivals, um, which they do buy a lot of their rivals. Uh, the government asked Facebook to unwind Instagram and WhatsApp and separate them as different companies. But Facebook lawyers filed a motion to dismiss. Fear an expense, a legal fight, and a heartbreaking goodbye to Instagram. Yesterday, the judge granted the dismissal, so the case was dismissed. Makes a lot of sense. I, I, I think you know you can't force Facebook, a massive company that's done it from the ground up, to disband just because they're doing a good job of of buying their rivals, which is one of their main inorganic ways of growth is buying their rivals and understanding which platforms have value and buying those ones. Um, so that's something to watch out for. Facebook just surged after that ruling, 
and finally hit the one trillion club. And the one trillion club includes Apple, Microsoft, Saudi Aramco, Amazon, Google, and now Facebook. Speaking of a company that would hope, well, speaking of a platform that would hope to hit the one trillion club, it's not even, I don't even know if it's public in the US, but it's not. Binance, the world's largest crypto exchange, by trading volume, has been banned from the UK by the country's market regulators. Um, a lot of uh, fear and, and negative headlines surrounding the crypto community currently. Um, so we'll talk more about that later. Dress codes. In the dress code world, um, some banks are going to sweatpants and slippers as official dress code, meaning they're embracing the Zoom life. Um, JP Morgan and um, UBS and other banks are saying, UBS plans to let two-thirds of its staff work remotely several days of the week. Synchrony will offer three different options, permanently remote for those who love their noon showers, satellite locations, um, or hybrid schedules. The Wall Street narrative uh, for JP and Goldman and all those different people are, they want people back in the office. Morgan Stanley um, um, says they want people back in the office. So a lot of the companies take most of the Old guard finance companies will have a back in the office stance. I think some of the tech and different flexible companies will have a hybrid schedule, but there will be more of a hybrid work from home life going forward, I believe. Um, and that's something to to look out for. And, and tell me what your company's doing. I love to hear. And now if we look at it high level, what's going on in America? America's booming recovery. So this is roaring back. People call it the roaring 20s. They're calling it all these different things. But it's very clear that people are back out spending. It's summer, nicer weather. Um, people are flush with things in their bank account that they've saved up for fear. Now they're out spending it. The economy is roaring back, expected to grow 6.5% this year. It's highest since the 80s. Uh, COVID vaccines are flowing, $5.3 trillion of government stimulus, um, restaurants, flights, all these different things are being done. And so let's look at the first half numbers um, um, for what's been going on. 1.9 million global COVID deaths from January to June. Uh, 57% of U.S. adults have been fully vaccinated. 2.5K, the average monthly unemployment payout with boosted benefits extended until September. Um, negative 20%. That's the fall in the stock price of the 50 biggest SPACs this year. So year-to-date SPACs are doing horribly. Meanwhile, the market in general is doing well for the SPACsters out there. 5,000... 500, 5,000%, excuse me, surge in the price of Dogecoin so far this year in the first half. So, so some first half numbers. It's been an interesting first half of the year. It's good to see things going back to a little bit normal. So that's good to know. Um, and news that just kind of skipped by people, the LA Dodgers owner, Mark Walter and Todd Boyhe, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, um, are buying a stake of the LA Lakers from billionaire Phil something. Um, the deal values the Lakers at $5 billion. So they're buying a stake. That values like is a five billion. That's a pretty amazing valuation. It's probably one of the top. You got the Cowboys, some Euro soccer teams, and the Lakers are some of the top um, Yankees as well. Um, as well, some of the top valued uh, sports teams. So that's an interesting deal. That's kind of skipped by me. I didn't really notice that news. But that's your news update. We have Ask, Ask and Expert coming up next. Hope you enjoy that segment. But it's been a busy filled news update. And we'll be seeing you in the Ask an Expert segment. Before we get into Ask an Expert, two big things that happened that I want to make sure I talked about. One, the NCAA ruling on athletes being able to use their name, image, and likeness for profit. So that's big. It's coming down the pipeline July 1st. 
You've seen all the big names already post to make their brand deals. It's going to be big for a lot of the top players. They're going to make a lot of money in college, which I think is long overdue. If I didn't talk about this earlier, um, I wanted to expound on it. I think it's long overdue. We saw the NCAA devalue these players in their minds, from their perspective, hey, you're a student athlete, meaning student first, you're not an athlete, you're athlete second, um, which obviously we know is not the case, especially at these big universities where you have 90,000 people packed in to watch these kids play. They're athletes, and a lot of them are professional athletes or go on to be professional athletes. And and that is a big, big thing that, you know, NCAA was making millions in revenue, billions in revenue off of these kids and then now um you know not passing it down and now that is changing which is huge the next thing i want to talk about i read a great book uh zero to one peter thiel's uh book um i just think it was great there's a lot of perspective in there that was really insightful for me and things that i am going to use going forward things that i thought um that really highlighted and i made some notes while i was reading the book but if you haven't read it i think it's a great book um peter thiel was recently in the news for pretty much having a Roth IRA that's probably the most valued Roth IRA in history of $5 billion. If you're wondering how he had a Roth IRA of $5 billion, it's because he used his Roth to buy shares in startups, um, which isn't against the rules per se, but when he bought these shares in the startups, the value at which he bought them at is in contention uh, because obviously with PayPal, he was part of PayPal, one of the co-founders, and there's value that that's in contention on what the value was, which is the irk of the rule. You can't devalue the company to buy into it just to stuff your IRA um, and then now have an IRA worth billions when you sell shares and buy into different things. So that was an interesting, um, there's an interesting article on it by ProPublica, Pro I believe. Um, so you want to look that up. But the book itself is really good. Um, I'm a little late. The book came out in 2014, but I read it in 24, 48 hours and I thought it was really, really insightful. Um, so I wanted to get those two insights before we got to ask an expert. Personal for me, I know it's July Fourth weekend. Stay safe, stay happy, stay fun. Um, and I think um, we'll definitely be talking to you next week. But hope you guys enjoy the ask an expert section. Everyone, thank you for welcome and welcome back to the podcast. This week we're going to try to do something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to ask an expert, um, and we have a great S expert here. And I'm going to let um, her introduce herself because uh, she's been on the podcast before, but I think it's great that we have her back to um, really talk about some important concepts in financial literacy that I think she's really, really great at uh, and the best at. So I'm going to let her introduce herself. Um, so yes, please, please do introduce yourself for, for the listeners. <laughs> Delano, thanks so much for having me. Hi, everyone. My name is Janice Torres Rodriguez. I am a personal finance expert and creator and host of Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. Thank you. Thank you, Janice. That was a um, great introduction of yourself. Yeah. And today we just really wanted to break down a little bit more concepts. I think we've got everyone, we, we've gotten not off track. We, we talked more about investing, about a lot about high level finance, a lot about different things. And we've left a little bit of the, the financial literacy foundations, as I like to call it, which is the starting point. I think that it should be for everyone. So I have questions and she's, she's definitely an expert. So I'm going to ask the questions to her to, to really dive in and really just see where we can add a little bit of value to all the listeners out there that are trying to learn more about the foundational steps. So the first question I have is, what's the most reliable way to pay off debt? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something that I struggled with for a very long time until I really started to understand the 
fundamentals of financial literacy. Mm. I think the big place to start is like knowing your numbers. I think a lot of us tend to be very afraid of confronting our debt. And so we treat it as something that like, if it's sight unseen, it doesn't exist. And unfortunately, that's not how it works, y'all, especially when we're talking about like student loan debt, which will follow you into the grave. Okay. So Mm -hmm. the first step is really just getting a handle on what the debt is, where it comes from. Is it credit card debt? Is it student loans? Is it a mortgage? Is it a combination of you know one or more of those things? And then it's really a matter of tackling them in the list of priority. Yes. So I would always say that tackling high interest rate consumer debt, like a credit card, or like maybe you got a really bad personal loan or, you know, a a really expensive car note, anything that is charging you upwards of eight, nine, 10%. Those are the places where you really want to start because it tends to be that mortgages and student loans are at a lower interest rate. Um, Even though those balances tend to be bigger, the fact that you're paying higher interest on any debt is going to make it you know, snowball much faster and grow at a much higher rate. So uh, once you have your, you know, your information about where the debt is, how much you actually have, then it's a matter of creating a payment plan, right? Mm. And so there's two main methods for this. There's the snowball method or the avalanche method. And one is based on, you know, tackling the highest balance versus the highest interest. Which one works for you is really dependent on kind of your psychology as a, you know, person who's trying to get out of debt. If the small wins are the thing that like you want to continue to, you know, see quickly, maybe you want to target your lowest uh, balance first and get that out of the way. And then that psychological boost will be like the thing that makes you, okay, I'm ready to tackle the next and the next and the next. Or if you want to just pay as little interest as possible, then you want to focus on the debt. That's the highest interest and then go from there. Love that. Love that, Janine. That, that, that's a great way to put it. And you really succinctly talked about the way to attack it. I think the first thing that you mentioned was really important because a lot of people get caught up on like, especially if it's a mount that's large, they just don't know where to start. So they get caught up on like the big, large number and like getting scared and worried. But like you said, know your numbers. And once you know, you attack it. Taking that first step to to eliminate debt is is really tough for again for a lot of people but once you actually start doing the work you'll see those incremental steps happen and then once you've done that you paid off debt maybe you've you built up an emerging fund in if your emerging fund is sufficient you've got it whether it's one to three months three to six i know everybody's preference may differ there doesn't matter but other than saving for retirement maybe a 401k or whatnot or your child's education are you done saving let's say you've done your emergency fund you're putting stuff in your in a re- employer sponsored retirement plan, or oh, maybe you're doing some 529 or something of that nature. At that point, are people done saving at that point? Absolutely not. Because, you know, the reality of it is that we all want to do cool stuff with our yeah. money. And, you know, planning for emergencies, it's not fun, but it's something we have to do. And mm. retirement is also another one of those things that like, we know it's going to come at some point and we have to prepare for them. But what about going on awesome vacations mm. or maybe upgrading your car in a couple of years or adding that new uh, extension to your house or Love building it. a pool or something, right? Like there's all these things that we want to do with our money. And if we're not saving them, that's when we end up having to rely on things like loans or, you know, taking out debt to, to make these things happen. So mm. no, you're definitely not in a position to not save just because you're funding your retirement and you have your emergency fund. You should absolutely take advantage of a high yield savings account and yeah. allocate some money in there for the fun stuff that we want to do. I love that. I love that. You had a good point. One, I don't know how to put you on the spot. I saw cool vacation stuff that you did and you were like, 
even once I hit you up, you're like, hey, I'm on vacation. I know you're bad self-care. It's like, oh, I'm not going to bug you. You're, you're enjoying, you're relaxed. I feel the same. If I'm on a weekend, I get a text or email. I'm like, hey, just give me a second. Like, we work so hard. So you've done the right things. You, you Like you said, you posted, I think, posted about it where you saved in the high yields or whatever it was for the vacation that you wanted to do. You did all the right steps. You were able to fund it just from your planning ahead and just from your thinking ahead and saving, which is very important. Same thing I do when it comes to different things that I'm saving for. I use Marcus Goldman Sachs for my high yield. I just set it up um, and I just label them and whatever it is that I'm saving for, I'm able to allocate the funds in there. Just try to think ahead, plan ahead. Like you mentioned, it's all about us being able to do things that we want to do, whatever that is. It could be yeah. different from person to person, but you know, if you're trying to not have to fund it with a credit card or not have to fund it with a loan, like you said, or borrow from someone, you're able to do this by planning a little bit ahead and it takes a little bit of steps incrementally, but we can do that. Um, there are things also, I just want to mention that, you know, there are things that are not necessarily emergencies, but we tend to treat them as such like Christmas every yeah, year. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh my God, where did this come from? I don't have any money for Christmas gifts. So you can use that same concept to save for the things that you know are going to happen. Like yeah. you're going to need to get new tires on your car at some point. Yes. If you have pets, you're going to have to take them to the vet. And so, none of those types of things that you know are going to happen should be funded from your emergency fund. Cause that's not yeah. what it's for. Yeah. That is really for the unplanned expenses. And so mm. if you know, there are things that you have to take care of, whether those are taxes or your vet bill or, you know, your daycare bill, whatever it is, those are things that you should actively be saving for as well. I love that. Yeah, that's a great point. I love that way you put it. Emergency fund is actually for the unplanned and it's uh, the other things that you can plan for. You can try to do that and allocate a bit per month, a bit per paycheck, and that will add up for you for you have that um, ready to go. So I love that. I love that. What, what tips do you have for people? And this is something that comes up rarely for me. But it does come up and I'm not an expert in this area. I really don't, besides reading online, there's, it's just really opaque. It's not very clear on, on things to do, but there are some clear things, but I don't know how incrementally it does. Point being is what are things that people can do to possibly improve their credit rating? I, I skip, but their credit rating, if they're like, say, I want to raise my credit, trying to buy a house or trying to get a loan of some sort. How, are there things that other things that people can do to do that? Yeah, so there's a, you know, there's a formula to your credit score and it has to do with like, you know, how much debt you have overall, how much of your existing credit limit are you using? Uh, are you paying your bills on time? Things like that. So, you know, if mm. you're in a position where like you're paying off your credit card debt or you're paying your minimum balance every month, um, you're in a good spot. But if you're finding that your balance is increasing over time, that's going to have you run into issues when it comes to taking out things like a, a home mortgage, because the bank wants to know that, you know, you have enough disposable income that is not being eaten up by all this debt that you have that's going to allow you to pay that mortgage. So my whole thing is like, I never use credit cards as a line of credit, if you will. Mm. I'm only using credit cards for the benefits, whether that's mm. I'm trying to get points for travel, I'm trying to get, you know, cash back, something like that. Paying off your balance every month and hacking the system and getting those rewards for me is the best way to not only improve your credit score, because, you know, once you're not carrying that revolving debt, that's going to do wonders for your, your credit in general. But it's also just like, you know, understanding the power of, of credit in general and just respecting it versus <laughs> assuming that it's free money. Yeah. Um, it, that, that'll take you far. I love that. I love that. That's a great, great point. And the point about using points, I know it's like people that are deep dive deep into that um, 
whole game and maybe you're people that not a game deep into that whole like area where you're like hacking the system and getting your points and using points to fund other trips and doing different things it's a whole new people that run so many blogs posts i've seen a little bit about it. i'm not deep into that that area yet but i've heard a lot about good things from it that people have uh, told me about that area i've seen a little bit online so for those people interested you can dig deeper into that and then what about you know the biggest thing is a highly contested question i don't even highly contested still but you know should people be saving for retirement if they have credit cards that actually know a family that they did a great job they follow the plan where they just paid off everything where they came to student loan debt um they don't have any credit card debt but they're like hey you know, now we're going to start saving for retirement a little incrementally, but we still, we just wanted to have no debt before we did that. But I've always been offensive that I think preferentially, it doesn't matter as much as a wash in most cases, but you know, a lot of people want to know, have a hard, fast answer if they should do this versus that, but should people be saving for retirement if they still have credit card debt? That's a little bit more of an interesting question, I think. Yeah. And it's a hard question to answer because there's so many factors that'll play into account, right? Like how much money are you bringing home? Like, what is that? Do you have any bandwidth in your budget in order to do both, right? Maybe you don't. And maybe the credit card debt is just literally eating up all of your money. So if you find yourself in that position, but you want to be able to tackle both of these options, I definitely recommend thinking about picking up extra work or side hustling, right? I'm really big on side hustles and just the power of additional income to help you accelerate your financial goals. And for me, side hustling for a long time was with the intention of paying off my student loans and credit card debt. And it really made a big difference, right? So if you can find a way to make even a couple extra hundred dollars a month, that's going to go really far with helping you, you know, pay off that debt while balancing the goal of investing. I will say this, if you have access to an employer match, do whatever you can to at least get that money. Because if you are letting that money sit on the table, you are basically giving up free money. Mm-hmm. And you know who, who in their right mind is actually going to do that. So mm-hmm. if that's all that you can do until you're completely debt-free, that is your goal. That, that's 100% right. And you mentioned a great point is, you know, we think about it and budgets only go so far. Again, if you have a salary or whatever and you're stressed out, you're maxed out on your discretionary income and you can't really do anything, the only way... One of the two ways is you can lower expenses, which it seems like a lot of people are already keeping their bare minimums. But if you get to increase income, I love the fact they mentioned side hustle. It's not a fun thing to say to people. It's like, oh, just go out and earn more money, which is obviously it takes your time. It's hard. It's not easy when you already have a job. But that is like really one of the only answers is like you have to increase income some way, somehow to give you more wiggle room in the budget to do different things. So I think that's a great, great point that you mentioned. And it's a tough one. It's definitely a tough one. For, uh, for people out there, so, but it's a good, good point. Lastly, it's an interesting question. I think a lot of people have different partners, different things. A lot of people try to manage things with a spouse. Like, is there any tips on managing finances with a spouse, partner, um, any anything out there? I actually think this is a really, really interesting question. Yeah, so being Latina, I definitely saw and was fed like this narrative that the money all goes in one pot. And my parents, Mm. you know, they've been married 40 plus years and they have always managed their money together. So I thought that was the only way to do it. But in my household, I actually have my finances completely separate from my husband. And we Mm. decided to do that like from the beginning when we first moved in together, even before we got married. Mm. And I don't think there's any right or wrong way to do it. I don't think that, you know, you should subscribe to a narrative that like, there's only one right way to manage your money as a couple because everybody's circumstances are going to be different. If you have a spouse who's maybe like not on the same wavelength with you financially, pooling your money together might 
cause a lot of friction, right? Mm. So it, it really requires assessing what type of communication do you guys have around money? Is this something that is a continuous contention point or is this something that. that you guys easily agree on? The psychology of money and relationships is super important. And, you know, money is one of the main reasons why people get divorced. So mm. before you're talking about commingling dollars, you have to like just talk. <laughs> you got to get good at talking about everything because, you know, managing your money is going to be one of the least um, stressful things you'll deal with in a partnership. So exactly. <laughs> if you can get good with that, you guys will be on a good uh, path to, you know, being able to handle all the stuff that life will inevitably throw at you. That's such a good point, Denise. And as you mentioned, we, we, we have to have that conversation. That's something, you know, my girlfriend, we had a conversation about what we wanted to do and, and make sure we're on the same wavelength. Cause yeah, if you're on the same wavelength, it, it makes it a lot easier. And, and again, it could be, you said preferential, it could be co-mingling some, co not at all, or a, a hybrid mix of both where you have an account together where you do stuff and you don't. Um, you can have someone take the lead on different things. It's all based on that conversation. But if there's no conversation, I said, it, it will, contentious points will arise, but I think conversation needs to be had in the interim. So that's a great, great point. Oh, wow, this is good. Ask an expert. The first time we've ever done this, we've had interviews, but I think this is better. Straight to the point, let's not have, you know, we can't waste experts time. We gotta just have them answer questions. But with that being said, she's an expert. Where else can we find your expertise? Where else can we listen to you, learn from you? I'd love to have the people know. Absolutely. So you can check out my podcast. It's called Yo Quiero Dinero, and it's available wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can also check out the personal finance blog, which is a compliment to the podcast at YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com. Thank you so much, Denise. I appreciate your time again today, um, and we'll be hearing from you soon. Thank you.